Shalom, welcome to Tanakh study. This is Alex Israel from Alon Shvut, and we have reached the point in Parshat Vayera, where we have reached chapter 21, Perak Chaf Aleph, and we are today going to read the story of the birth of Yitzchak and the sending away of Yishmael. Pasuk Aleph, Hashem pakad et asher amar vayas Hashem asher diber, and God fulfilled his promise to Sarah as he had said, and the God did for Sarah as he had spoken. The word pakad is a very interesting word. It can it means to repay a promise, and you can have pokeda vonavot albanim. You can have that God visits the sin of the fathers on the children, or here, Vahashem Pakad et Sarah, that he fulfilled his promise to Sarah. Notice here that, um, what, okay, what are we going to have here? Pasuk Bet, Vatar Vatelet Sarah li Avraham ben, and Sarah became pregnant as she gave birth to a son, to Avraham Lizkunav, to his old age. But please notice that Pasuk Aleph is said to Sarah, or said about Sarah, and Pasuk Bet, Gimel, Dalad is going to be about Avraham. We've already noted that the birth of Yitzchak is predicted, is promised in two ways. In chapter 17, it was promised to Avraham as part of the covenant. And there it was mentioned Avraham's age, he's 99, etc. And Avraham laughed. In chapter 18, the three men came and promised Sarah that she would have a son. So it was promised twice. Likewise here at the beginning of chapter 21, the Psukim reflect both the language of chapter 17 and chapter 18. Pasuk Aleph, Vahashem pakadet Sarah ka'asher amar, God fulfilled his promise. Ve'as Hashem Sarah ka'asher diber, vatar vatelet Sarah. But now it switches to chapter 17, to the fulfillment of chapter 17. She indeed became pregnant and gave birth to a son, but La Avraham to Avraham Benz Kunav, the son in his old age, Lamo Eda Shediber Eto Elohim, at the time, the set time that God had spoken to him. And Avraham called the son that had that he that had been given birth to him, Sarah, that Sarah had given birth to, called him Yitzchak. Vayamal Avraham fulfilling Britmila chapter seventeen. Avraham circumcised his son Yitzchak ben Shmonat Yamim when he was eight days old, Kasher Tziva Oto Elohim, just like God had commanded him, Avraham ben Miatshana, Behivaled Lo et Yitzchak Beno. And Avraham was a hundred years old when Yitzchak was born to him. But now we go back to the fulfillment of chapter 18 and back to Sarah, who laughed then in a sense of incredulousness in a sense of how absurd it was all Vatomes Sarah and Sarah said interesting question of how you are meant to translate this are we going to say God has given me joy everybody who hears about this will rejoice with me or if you want to be more cynical God has made me tzchok asali Elohim. God has made me ridiculous. Anybody who hears will uh, laugh at me. Vatomer, and she says, Mi milel Avraham, heinikavanim sarak yalati ben liskunav. Who would have imagined to Avraham that Sarah is nursing her son, for I have given birth, 
for I've given birth to a son in his old age. There's a tremendous sense of simcha, of joy, in these psukim as we describe the great long-awaited Zerah of Avraham and Sarah, their joint child, and the fulfillment of Hashem's promises both to Avraham and to Sarah, Avraham's ability to fulfill the instruction he had about Brit Milah to his biological son, and the joy where Sarah's laughter, which was a laughter of the absurd before, has now turned into the joy of of, of laughter and happiness of actually being able to have a son. Everybody who hears will be joyous with me. And she has this little poem, And in this spirit of joyfulness, The child grew up and was weaned. Avram made a great feast on the day that Yitzchak was weaned. Uh, interesting, now we make a feast for a Brit Milah, but maybe they were worried uh, there was high rates of infant mortality, and maybe they were worried that the child wouldn't quite make it, and therefore when the child was a little older, already eating solid foods, already able to walk and able to talk, that was when they realised that the child had moved from infancy into childhood, and they could make a celebration at this point, Biyom Higamel et Yitzchak. Everything is happy, everything is great, God has fulfilled all the promises. But now, now the trouble is going to begin. Sarah saw the son of the Egyptian Hagar, who had also been born to Abraham, doesn't say also in the text, the child who she had given birth to Abraham, saw him Metzachek. What is this curious word, metzachek? You will notice that it is in part of the same root of the name Yitzchak. Sarah sees Yishmael, metzachek. Vatomeli Avraham, she said to Avraham, Garesh Hamazot, expel this handmaid, Ve'ebbena, and her son. Ki lo yirash ben ha'ama hazot im b'ni'im Yitzchak. Because this woman's uh, this son of a handmaid will not inherit with my son, with Yitzchak. What did she see? What was so objectionable? What happened here? First, let me note that in regard to the literary style of the chapter, you will notice that Yishmael's name is not going to be mentioned. To Sarai, he's going to, Sarai, he's going to be Ben Hagar HaMitzrit, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian woman, or Ben Ha'ama, the son of the handmaid. Not a very positive perspective. To Avraham, he is going to be Beno. Avraham looks at him as a son. Remember that for the first 13 years of Ishmael's life, it is likely that Avraham raised him as the son. Avraham has a huge amount of love to Ishmael. There is no reason why he wants to expel Ishmael. He is just his son. To God, he says, um, God calls him the Na'ar, the boy, the youth. By the way, at this point in the story, Ishmael, if we can imagine, Ishmael was 13 when he was circumcised. That was a year before Yitzchak was born. He was 14 when Yitzchak was born. Now Yitzchak is weaned. 
What age is that? Two or three? So, Yishmael in this story would be 16 or 17. The word Na'ar is a fine word for that. By the way, Hagar herself, later we will see, looks at Yishmael as a Yeled. It's a little boy. But he's never called Yishmael because those names, and this is a very powerful thing that the Torah does, to tell the story by using these epithets in order that we understand how each of the different characters relates to uh, Yishmael. Let's go back to our question. He is seen by Sarah as being mutzachik, sporting, playing, and immediately she says, you've got to get rid of him. What is happening here? Rashi quotes the Midrash Rabbah, who brings a whole bunch of different options. And the Midrash Rabbah's methodology is fabulous. Uh, Midrash Rabbah says, uh, brings, uh, tries to trace the word uh, or the verb sadi chet kuf throughout different places. The first place it looks is at the st- uh, later on where the story of Eshet Potiphar, where it says, um, says that Potiphar's wife, you've brought this Hebrew slave, which would mean to sexually molest me or to seduce me. In that case, Metzachek has sexual connotations, or as the Midrash says in the name of Rabbi Akiva, Ein Metzachek Ela Giloi Arayot. In other words, Sarah saw him do something sexual. Rabbi Ishmael says, Ein Lashon Tzchok Ela Avodat Kochavim, and his proof text is from the Golden Calf. Vayakumu Letzachek. There, Letzachek means Avodah Zarah. In other words, we're, we're pinning on Ishmael some of the worst possible things. And Rabbi Elazar isn't falling short of this, and he comes with a third of this uh, set and said, no, it must mean shvichut damim, it must mean killing. And he quotes a pasuk from Shmuel, which isn't perfect fit because it's yesachaku with a sin and not a tzadi. But where there are uh, a group of David's men against a group of uh, Shaul's men, let them all get up and, and joust and, and have a duel. They end up killing each other. According to this Midrash, Ishmael is being accused of the worst possible things, a promiscuity, murder, and avodah zarah. Difficult to believe that a son of Abraham would act in this way. And the truth is, there's nothing in the Pasuk which leads us to come up with this option. Having said that, the Midrash seems to have an agenda to cast Ishmael as a very negative character. But, interestingly enough, there is a fourth opinion here in the Midrash. And this is an opinion of Rabbi Shimon Bayachai, and he says, Ein lashon shel tzchok, lashon yirusha. This language of tzchok, of laughter, or mocking, is a language of Yerusha. From the moment that Yitzchak was born, they were all happy. Yishmael said, You are stupid. I'm the firstborn, I'm going to be in charge. We see this from her response. 
He lo irash ben ha'amah hazot im b'ni im Yitzchak. The way they're interpreting is that what Sarah saw about about Yishmael was that he's metzachek, he was smirking, he was mocking. He had a big smile on his face and he's watching this event where this little child who's two or three is be, has been weaned and there's a big celebration and everybody's celebrating the heir of Avram and Sarah and he looks at him and says, wait a second, I've already got 14 years on this little pipsqueak and frankly, I'm the Bukhara and I'm not giving up so easily. And Sarah sees the look on his face and says, he is intending to inherit the farm. He is, in, 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 he is intending on inheriting everything to Avraham. And as long as he is around, he is a threat to Yitzchak's status as the Zerah of Avraham and Sarah. He is the person who is going to obstruct Yitzchak from taking over as the family heir. And therefore, Garesha Amahazot Vetbana, this woman has to go and her son. Because I will not allow this son of this slave woman to inherit with my son Yitzchak. As we quoted last time, uh, when, we, when we told the story of Hagar and Ishmael, we find that ancient laws, the law of the Hammurabi, really backs this. And let me read a couple of uh, important lines here. Um, Laws of the Hammurabi, paragraph 170 and 171. If a wife bears sons to a man, and also the maidservant has borne sons to the man, and the man, while still living, says the children of the slave woman, they are my sons. And if he counts them with the sons of his wife, then when the father dies, they divide the property in common. The sons of the wife and the sons of the slave woman divide the paternal property together. In other words, if, as long as Avram is alive, he treats Ishmael as his son and Yitzchak as his son, they will divide equally. Paragraph 171. If, however, the father, while still living, does not say to the sons of the maidservant, You are my sons, then when the father dies, the sons of the mage servant will not share with the sons of the wife, but the freedom of the maid and her sons shall be granted. Fascinating. So, if the man, in this case Avraham, does not say to the sons of the maid servant, you are my sons, then when he dies, only the real wife and the man, their son, their biological son, will inherit, but the maid and her son will be given their freedom. This is going to be critical for this story. What Sarah is doing is she's asking Abraham to make it very clear. Now that uh, Yitzchak is healthy, um, make it very clear who his real child is and that Ishmael will not inherit. Expel this woman and her son because uh, Yitzchak will not inherit together with this son. This is exactly what she's saying. How does Avram feel about this? Avram doesn't want this. Avram sees indeed Ishmael as his son, but, and I imagine, I don't know what sort of clash they would have had, God himself intervenes and he says, Al Yera Be Necha Alhanar Alamatecha 
Don't feel bad, neither about the boy, nor about the slave woman. Everything that Sarah is saying to you, listen to, you have to understand, if Yitzchak is going to be your Zera, this is what is what needs to happen. If he indeed is going to be your heir, it is time for Ishmael to leave. This is a tremendously difficult moment for Avraham. He has feelings towards Hagar. He certainly has feelings towards Ishmael. And now Avraham, being Avraham, listens to God without delay. He gets up in the morning. He gives her bread, he gives her a water flask, and uh, gives it to Hagar, Samal Shichma puts it on her shoulder, the et hayeled, of course the boy doesn't go on her shoulder, the boy goes with her, Vatashalcheha, and he sends her away. I should send, say, say that Vayishalcheha means uh, he divorces her, because of course uh, this is the phrase used, Kiyakachishisha, uh, in Sefer Devarim, when a man marries a woman, if he doesn't, he says v'shilchami beito. That's the phrase using uh, used there. Um, he gives her a sefche kritut, a get, and sends her from her house. So here he is essentially the words used are shalach garesh. Um, he is expelling her. He's divorcing her. What happens? She goes and she wanders. In other words, they get lost in the Midbar Be'er Sheva, in the wilderness near Be'er Sheva. Be'er Sheva is going to be important for us. And the water runs out. And Hagar throws the boy, or abandons the boy, under one of the plants. She goes and sits far away, far as an arrow shot. She said, I can't see the boy die. She sits far away. Notice it's the second word, which indicates a distance. Hagar cries. We didn't know that Ishmael was crying or talking or praying. I'm sure if he'd grown up in Avraham's home, he had learned to pray. God heard the voice of the boy, not hers, by the way. And an angel calls to Hagar and says, Don't be afraid, God has heard the voice of the boy from where he is. Go carry the boy and um, help him up with your hand. I will make him into a great nation. God opened her eyes, she saw a well, she filled up the water, uh, the, the flask with water, and she gave him to drink. Okay, we'll, we'll stop there. Did Avram really send Hagar and Ishmael into the desert to die of dehydration? Could he not have given them more water? Could he not have given them more? Did he, did he abandon them to their death in the Midbar? What's going on? I think it's quite clear what was meant to happen and all the Mafarshim say that of course he gave Hagar money, enough money to subsist and to be able to support herself and her child. Of course you have, whenever you're travelling through the desert, it's difficult to know how much water to take. I'm sure any of you have been on a teul in, the, in, in hot weather in Israel 
how much do you take do you take if you take so much water you get tired from carrying the weight what do you do so um he gave him a certain amount of water and it sounds like they're in midbar Beersheva. why Beersheva? avram at this time is in grar i think it's clear that um what he's doing here is they're going to Beersheva, which was on the caravan route down to Egypt. And of course, Hagar is Hagar HaMitzrit, as we've already mentioned. So she's going back to her family in Egypt. She's left Avraham, and she needs to make her way to Beersheva in order to catch the caravan. She probably was intending to fill up her water bottle somewhere along the way where she knew there was a, a well. But these wells are not wells with like brick around them. They're simply ma'ayanot. They are springs in the wilderness. And even if she knew where it was a year or two before, it could have been that it rained during the winter and certain plants had grown up and she didn't notice it. In fact, of course, it was right in front of her. When God opens her eyes, she opens her eyes and sees the Be'er Mayim. She sees that, that there is water there. She just hadn't spotted it. It had been hidden from her eyes. How many times do we have a situation where we're looking for something? It's right there. We don't notice it. In other words, Avram had definitely sent them in the right direction. He'd given them just enough to keep them going till they could fill up and get the caravan down to uh, down to Egypt. And, uh, and what happens is they have a bit of a, a glitch in the plan. And this is where we see that uh, Ishmael almost, uh, almost dies, but God hears his prayers and he lives. In a sense, this is a sense of rebirth for Yishmael. And let's look at the last psukim here of this segment. Um, notice Hashem gives him a blessing. Uh, already God had told him, um, no, God gives him a blessing here, and he says, gadol asimenu. I will make him into a great nation. And of course, what happens at the end, Pasuk and Chaf Aleph, God was with the boy. He grew up, that Midbar, which he almost died in, became his home. Because, of course, if he's got the water, he can open an oasis there. He can become a stop on the caravan route. He lives in the wilderness. He was an archer, a person who lived by his, uh, his, his bow. In other words, what does that mean? Maybe he was a hunter. Maybe he provided protection services for the various caravans which were going through the wilderness, protecting them from desert pirates and marauders. And indeed he gets married and now he can become that Goy Gadol that he was promised. This is all one Masoretic paragraph from the birth of Yitzchak till this story and how we meant to understand it. And Rav Elchanan Samet says that there's a very, very beautiful structure here. Uh, if you want, we start off with Yitzchak being born, which is the fulfillment of the blessing to Avraham and to Sarai. Sarah. At the end of this paragraph, we see Ishmael become grow up in freedom and manage to create his own area and his own fiefdom here in the Midbar, even getting married and having a, a livelihood. This is also a fulfillment of a promise. It's a fulfillment of a promise made to Hagar all those years ago when she was pregnant and ran away. And she, he was pro she was promised then, Adam. And if you listen to our shir on that chapter, chapter 16 in Bereshit, 
We interpreted Para Adam according to the Ibn Ezra, who said that Para Adam means he will be a free man. Mi shalach Para Chavshi, says Eov. Uh, para means a free man. Hagar, when she was pregnant, did not want to see her child grow up in captivity. And now that Avram and Sarah have Yitzchak, now is the time um, to set Hagar free and also to give Yishmael his freedom. If you want, this happens in another chiasm. If we have the fulfillment to Avram and Sarah at the beginning of this story and the fulfillment to Hagar at the end, it starts off with Sarah nursing her child. And of course, at the end, we have Ishmael almost dying. But of course, Hagar is not going to nurse him. He's not a baby. He's a 17-year-old. She then gives him water to drink. And this is almost like a rebirth of Ishmael. In the middle, of course, you have the very difficult decision which Sarah instigates and Avram fulfills according to God's word, which is, of course, clarifying who will be Avram's heir. She has to go so that Yitzchak will be the unparalleled, the unchallenged heir. And God says the same thing, right? He says... Yitzchak will be your, um, your, your offspring. And therefore, this is a very, very beautiful parsha because it describes fulfillment of promises. Fulfillment of promises to Avram and Sarah, and they're getting their, their, their child, Yitzchak, and the fulfillment and freedom of Hagar and Ishmael, who are now getting the blessings they were promised 17 years earlier when Hagar ran away to the Be'er uh, Lachai Ro'i, to the well of Lachai Ro'i in the desert, when she was so distraught as a slave girl and when she knew she was pregnant. So in many ways we can look at this, maybe what seemed like a cruel story of the sending away of Ishmael with turning it around. And I want to see it in parallel to this birth of Yitzchak in the beginning of the story, fulfillment of promises, the birth of Yitzchak, the fulfillment of ancient promises, and now the freedom of Ishmael. We're going to try and shoot to the end of the chapter here because uh, we want to get, get dedicate a whole podcast to the Akedah next time. So let's keep reading through our chapter, chapter 21, verse 22. We've already spoken about Avimelech, the king of Gerar, and he comes with Fichol, his army officer, to Avraham, and they say, God is with you with everything you do. And now make an oath to me, if you will ever be inappropriate, or if you ever betray our trust, both to our grandchild and to our grandchild, please do the kindness that I have done to you, um, and in the land which you have lived in. Wow, this is unbelievable. Unprovoked, a uh, king of the Philistines is coming here and he clearly sees Avram as a fixture in the land. Because if he's talking here about um, the kindness for Nini or Nechdi, for my grandchild and my grandson, he's talking about the fact that He's expecting Avram to be there in three or four generations. 
and he's looking for a shvua, he's looking for a pact. I will make that oath. I will make a pact with you that we will have a friendship agreement. But now, if there is friendship, I love this line. Remember what uh, Avimelech had said to him. He said, like the kindness I've done to you, so you shall do for me. Avram swears, and then he says, he says to him, he upbraids Avimelech concerning the well of water that Avimelech's servants had seized. And Avimelech says, this is always Avi Melech. He, he, he never knows about any of the bad things. I don't know who did this thing to you, and you didn't tell me, and I've never heard of it till this day. In other words, Avi Melech is coming there. It's clear that he sees Avraham as a very, very powerful figure. He wants to make an oath with him, but before Avram actually takes the oath, he wants... Avimelech to realize that Avimelech hasn't been quite as good as he claims he has. And now, by Yikach Avraham, son of Akar, Avimelech, Avraham takes cattle and sheep and he gives them to Avimelech and they make a covenant between them. He puts seven sheep on one side and Avimelech says to Avraham, What? Why have you put these two seven sheep aside? Please take these seven sheep. This is going to be as a symbol. You're not going to be able to contest this well which your servants have stolen. Water, of course, is a precious commodity in the desert, and this will prove that this well is mine. That is why they call it Be'er Sheva, because that is where the two of them took an oath. I have to say that the place already was probably called Be'er Sheva, but this gives extra meaning to the name Be'er Sheva. This is always a case whenever we have a naming of a biblical place. Is this a new name or is this a meaning of an old name? Whichever way they take an oath to one another and make a covenant of friendship and this is the seven sheep of Be'er Sheva. I think the implication that we get from this story is that Avram has become powerful in the land, a fixture in the land, and that other local lords and uh, and and uh, heads of tribes want to be able to secure a pact with this very powerful man. The last line, a beautiful one. Vayita eishel be'er sheva. Avram plants a tree in be'er sheva. Vayikras sham b'shem Hashem kel olam. Vayegar Avraham be'eretz plishtim yamim rabim. Avram lives in the land of Philistines for many days, but there he calls out in God's name. Did he make? It seems like he made probably made an altar like he's done before under the tree. Calls out in God's name. But Chazal says something very beautiful here. First of all, planting a tree always indicates that you're going to be there for a long time. If Avimelech says, you'll be good to my nini, my great-grandchild, and to my grandchild, then we know that Avraham planting trees, Avraham also believes he'll be there for a while. But this tree is called an Eishel, and Chazal say, what does Eishel, is an acronym for Achilash Diavelina, eating, drinking, and offering hospitality to wayfarers. And we wonder, why should we think about that when 
we hear about him planting a tree. I mean, after all, it's only a tree. And I think the answer is in the opening Parsha, Perak Yudchet, of Parshat Vayera, because if you remember, Avram told his guests, Hisha'anu tachata eitz, lean on the tree, and later, v'hu omed alihem tachata eitz vayochelu, when his guests eat, he entertains them under the tree. If here he plants a tree, this tree is intended to be for the purpose of achila, shtia, and lina, for hospitality, for serving his guests food and drink, and a place for them to stay over, and that, according to Chazal, is why he plants the tree. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow we're going to be discussing the very formidable Parsha of the Akhidah. Please tune in then.